You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor George Willis, which is from the sermon series, The Bible Tells Me So. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Hey, if you brought your Bible or you're sitting next to someone who brought their Bible, look at their Bible and say, that's a great looking Bible as you make your way down. Make sure you're looking at the Bible. Well, how's everybody doing today? Right on. You have been praying for rain, and guess what? God has answered. (laughs) We're getting snow. We're getting rain in all forms. Um, Hey, I want to welcome you to week three in 40 days in the Word. How many of you are excited to be here today? If you're watching with us online, type in, uh, you know, something, an emoji or a word that says, I'm excited to be with Creekside Church online. Let those online know that we in-house love them by making some noise. Come on. I think my friend Ryan is the most excited. (laughs) We're going to get right into it as God opens the eyes of our hearts and reveals his truth to us. Have you ever thought this? I just never get anything out of the Bible. I mean, every time I read it, I'm gonna, can I be transparent with you today? There have been times where I've read the Bible at night in my bed where I've woken up with the Bible on my face. Sometimes, you know, when we read it, we go, wow, why do I even read this? It's so boring. I don't understand it. Has anybody ever been in that boat? It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what the big deal is all about. It seems like a closed book to me. I'm just not getting anything out of it. Now, if you ever felt this way, then here's what I'm going to tell you. You picked a great Sunday to be here with us. Because we're going to look at why the Bible feels like a closed book to some of us. Maybe a lot of us. But we're also going to talk about how God wants to open up, open it up, and how we can start seeing what God wants us to see when we read His Word. The fact is, the Bible is a difficult book. I totally understand it. It is a difficult book if you don't understand the principle of this word. And if you're taking notes, write this word down. Illumination. Illumination. That's what we're going to talk about this week. Illumination. Week one, we talked about inspiration, the reasons, you know, you know you can trust God's word. That is not, it's not a human book. It's God's word. It's the actual word of God. It's God's word to us. Last week, Pastor Jesse did an awesome job talking about, uh, you know, it's foundational. And just a caveat, by the way, uh, I did not call Pastor Jesse a nerd. I said I bought you some nerd books. So I just want to clarify. From the from the, <laughs> the generous love of my heart. Foundation, the reasons God gave his word and what he wants us to do with his word in our life, how it applies to our life, how it makes a difference and what the Bible was given to us for. This week we're going to look at uh, the issue of illumination. Say illumination. Does anybody remember back in the 90s, um, 
those, those lamp, halogen lamps. Come on, maybe you got to be over 45. Do we have a picture of one? Remember though, what we do, I see it on the back wall. The anticipation. That's okay. Everybody turn around and look at the, everything that I get to look at. Remember those? <laughs> it seemed to be all the rage in the 90s. You couldn't go to Target. You couldn't go to Best. You couldn't, you couldn't go to any store without seeing those for usually around $29.95. And while renting a room at my friend's house before I was married, just before I got married, I had the sole bedroom downstairs. It was a two-story house. I had the sole bedroom downstairs, and it was kind of tucked into a corner. And this room was dark because it had only just a little bit, you know, a little window in there. It was right across from the garage. I had the sole bedroom down there uh, with a tiny window, and this room was really, really dark. You couldn't see much until I bought one of those lamps. I think I got it at Target. I bought one of those halogen lamps, and what happened when I turned it on? It unleashed the power of the sun when I flipped that switch. I mean, those halogen lights, you know, they were extremely bright, and some would say dangerous. And what it did when I flipped that switch, everything in my room became clear. I can see everything in that room. It illuminated my entire bedroom. It was extremely bright, and I loved it. I mean, I I don't think lamps today have anything on those halogen lamps. That was the sun on a stick. Sure, if you tip them over, you can cause a five-alarm fire. Sure, they smoked for no reason. But hey, you can see. How many of you guys ever had one of those in your home? A lot of us had. Pretty much everybody over 35. But the point I want to make today is that the brighter the bulb, the clearer you see things. The brighter the bulb, I mean, isn't that true? The brighter the bulb, the clearer. I mean, hey, let's do this. Can we turn these lights on, the house lights? Turn them on. Never mind. Okay. Sometimes spontaneity does not work with the flow of service. The more light you have, the more you can see. Am I right? That's why if you want to get a picture taken, when you, you don't want a bright light. You know why? Because the bright light reveals every nook and cranny, every wrinkle, every pimple, every blemish. Uh, every, uh, it, it reveals everything on your face. You actually want the opposite. You want a little bit of less light. You know, that gauzy bokeh portrait filter mode thing. Because here, there's no ugly people in the dark. (laughs) The more light you have, the more clear it is. This is true when it comes to the Word of God. The more light, the more enlightened your mind, the more illuminated your mind, the more you're going to get out of God's Word. Thank you, Dorsey. 
See, it, 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 it then, it's not just the Bible. It's illumination. Now, what is illumination? It's letting the Holy Spirit show you the meaning of God's Word and how it applies to your life. Illumination is letting the Holy Spirit show me the meaning of God's Word and, and how it applies to my everyday life. See, before Jesus went back to heaven, He says, I'm going to go back to heaven, and after the resurrection, I'm going to send you my Spirit to live with you and in you. And you know that Spirit's name? It's the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit, His job is to do is to illuminate God's Word to us. To help us see, see things in, in this book that you would not otherwise see. If you don't have that, if you don't have the Holy Spirit illuminating God's Word, you're going to miss a lot of what the Bible says. It's kind of like at Christmas time when I would buy my daughter gifts. You know, the, the toys that were usually electronic toys always had a disclaimer on the package. Batteries, not. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Batteries not included. A toy sands the battery. It's still a toy, but it's never going to reach its full potential. Because you've got to have power to make the toy run. And God says, not only have I given you revelation, but I've given you inspiration. That's the power to interpret. That's the power to understand, the ability to understand and to see things that you've never seen before. And this is the Holy Spirit's job. Let me show you quickly a, a few verses. John 14, 26 said, Jesus said, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will do what? Teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He says he's going to teach you and remind you. You know, remind us of what he has said to us. What Jesus said to us. John 14, 17 says, He is the who? Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. It is the Holy Spirit who leads you to understand what the truth is in the Word of God. John 16, 15, the Spirit will take from what is mine. That is the words of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. And make it known to you. It is the illumination of revelation. It is God's Spirit saying this is what this means in your mind as you read it that makes it known to you. Ephesians 1.17 says, I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you His Spirit. Again, that's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will make you wise and do what? Let you understand what it means to know God. Note the phrase, let you understand. The Holy Spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. That means that the batteries are included. The batteries are included. And this is the uh, power part of Revelation. What am I saying? I'm saying that this book that, that we're reading, that we're going through, that we're creating habits to, to be in every day, this book is supernatural. Not only in that it is God's Word, but this book 
This is the only book that you will ever read in your life where you can communicate and hang out and be in relationship with the author. No other book on this planet can you do that. As I read this book, I can say to him, Lord, Holy Spirit, what does this mean when I, when I read your word? I just did it today in my devotional time this morning. How can I, how can I make, you know, how can this make a difference in my life today? How can I know you better? How can I know you more intimately through this? How am I supposed to use what I'm reading in my life today? And the Holy Spirit does what? He illuminates. He whispers. He whispers in my ear. He puts thoughts in my mind. He, he puts impressions. You know what he does? He opens my eyes. He illuminates. The light goes on in my mind. How does this work? How does illumination work? Ephesians 1, 18, 19 explains it. it. says, I pray also, say it with me, the eyes of your heart. Now, some of you may say, wait a minute. I have eyeballs on my heart? And the answer is yes, and I'll explain that in just a minute. But it goes on to say may, uh, that the eyes of our heart may be what? Enlightened, illuminated in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory, a glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Again, note that phrase in that verse, the eyes of your heart. What's he talking about there? Many of you know that when you were born physically, everything you learn in life comes through the five senses that God gave us. What are the five senses? Five senses. What are the five senses? We got hear, taste, touch, smell, and feel. Right? Sight. Sorry. I'm going to refer back to my notes. I'm getting a biology lesson. Everything you experience in your entire life, for as long as you live, you experience here on earth through those five senses that God gave you. If you don't have those, here's the kicker. You won't experience anything if you don't have those five senses. That's when you're physically born. But when you are spiritually born again, when you are reborn into God's family, when you are saved, when you come into a real relationship with Jesus, when you intimately know God, when you're developing your relationship with Jesus, when you're born again, God gives you a second set of senses and you get spiritual ears to hear some things that you've never heard before. And you get spiritual eyes to see things that you've never seen before. And all of a sudden, you feel some things that you've never felt before. These are the eyes of your heart. They are part of the spiritual senses. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, that's the spiritual eyes, will be enlightened. Again, note uh, enlightened. It, it comes from the, the same Greek word uh, that we get photo from, photizo. And what is a photo? It's an image of light on a piece of paper through digitization. It's an image of light. To enlighten means to shine the light on something. 
Now, what it means is when you're reading the Bible, all of a sudden, one day, the light bulb comes on in your mind, that halogen, you know, that, that sun lamp that we used to buy. Uh, it comes under your mind. You go, bam, I've never seen that before. I've read that. I don't know how many times I've read that, but man, now it makes sense. It's uh, those aha moments where you go, whoa, I've read that verse a lot of times, but I've never, ever understood it like I'm seeing it now. That's exactly what I needed. That's exactly what I needed today, right now, to encourage me, to help me know which way to go. I get it. Yes, I understand it. You know what that is? That's illumination. For many of you, that has never happened. For, for most or a lot of us, that, that's never happened as we read God's word. For us, it's kind of like the Peanuts character, the teacher, when they're talking to Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. And you never had one of those, aha, wow, I get it. This makes total sense. This is exactly what I needed. I've always wanted to know the answer. And now I know. See, that's illumination. That's when the batteries are included. Now, for some of us, that happens infrequently, sporadically, maybe every once in a while. But today, I, I, I want to teach you today how to make this a regular part of your Bible reading so that, more, so that more than just print on a piece of paper, you're going to read the Bible and you're going to have this experience, this understanding, and it's going to come alive to you. And hopefully you'll go, oh man, this is good. This is so good. I love what God is saying. I never saw that before. I needed this. I needed that. It's God speaking directly to me. And when that happens, guess what? Our spiritual eyes are open. Our spiritual eyes are open. That's called illumination. What actually happens when God opens our spiritual eyes? What actually takes place? I want to spend some time on that this morning. I'm going to tell you about four different stories from God's Word that illustrates this point. Then at the end, I'm going to very quickly, in about five minutes, give you five ways how to do this in your life. But first, I want to look at the benefits because when God begins to illuminate our mind, when God begins to speak, and you learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit all of a sudden, there's all kinds of really cool benefits that take place in our lives. And you're going to want to see these. So when God opens my spiritual eyes, when I see things He wants me to see, the number one, the, the first point, if you're taking notes, write this down. I see the solution to my problem. How many of us have problems? How many, got, how many of us are being truthful that? That's the first thing that happens. I see solutions to my problems. There's a story we're going to look at in Genesis 21. It's a story of Sarah and Abraham and Hagar. Anybody remember or familiar with that story? And their sons, Isaac and Ishmael. You may know this story. God promised Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation, the nation of Israel, and that God would give him a son to be heirs to this great nation. And at 90 years of age, Abraham still doesn't have a son. This is a problem. And Sarah says, hey, you're not kidding, dude. This really is a problem. It's a big problem. So what does Sarah do? Sarah comes up with a plan B. 
Sarah says to Abraham, I'm too old to have a baby. God, uh, uh, who's God's promise, you know, it's God's promise to give us a child. So why don't you do this? Why don't you take my assistant, my handmaiden, Hagar, and she'll be kind of the, or not kind of, she was, the surrogate mother, and you can have a baby through her. Abraham goes, wow, great idea. It's a great idea, Sarah. So what happens? Hagar gets pregnant with Abraham's child. Now remember, this is not God's plan. This was Sarah's plan. You with me so far? But the little baby is born, and he's a beautiful little baby, and they gave him the name Ishmael. And then Ishmael begins to grow, and Abraham holds up Ishmael before God and says, God, you have given me the promised boy. And God says, um, yeah. That's not what happened here. That's not my plan. That's Sarah's plan. I love Ishmael, and he's going to be a good kid, and I'm going to make him a great nation too, but he's not the promised miracle boy. Later, by a miracle, Sarah does get pregnant, and she has a little boy named Isaac who becomes the father of the Jewish nation. Now, listen, Sarah gets upset. And she starts getting jealous, and she's thinking, Ishmael's a little bit older, the firstborn. And he's probably going to get the inheritance as the custom back in that day. And what's going to happen is Abraham's going to favor him over Isaac. And she gets jealous. And then what does she do? She kicks Hagar and Ishmael out. Says, you guys get out of here. Get on your way. You're no longer my assistant. And she kicks him out into the desert. We pick up the story in Genesis 21, 14. It says this, Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water. Skin of water. They made canteens out of animal skins in those days. Pretty tasty. And, and, and she gave this water, uh, or Abraham gave this water to Hagar, and he set them on, or he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. He's basically kicking, kicking them out of the house. She went on her own and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy Ishmael under one of the bushes, and she went off and sat down nearby about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch this boy die. See, they're not only starving to death, but they're also dying of thirst, because you've got to remember, they're out in the desert. I cannot watch this boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. And this is a, a very tragic scene of rejection. But it says this, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And he did. Many believe that the, the, all of the Arab nations came from Ishmael. We pick up in the story in verse 19. It says, then God did what? Say it with me. Opened her eyes. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. God opened her eyes and then all of a sudden she can see. She went and she filled the skin, the canteen, with water and gave the boy a drink. And, and if you know anything about the story, you know that they survived and uh, the event and, and they went on. But here's the point. 
She had the solution right in front of her. She had the solution to her problem right in front of her. This well of water. But she couldn't see it until God opened her eyes. Until God illuminated her mind and helped her see it from a different perspective. Now, I don't know what the, you know, what problems you're going through right now. I don't know what you're dealing with, but you've got some problems in your life that you're going, I can't see a way around this. I, I don't see a solution to this. I, there's no answer for it. I can't see the, the solution to this problem. It looks like one dead end after another. And I'm here to tell you that you need to have your mind illuminated. You need the Holy Spirit to enlighten your mind. You need to, you know, you need Him to open your spiritual eyes so you can see the solution in God's very Word. You're never going to see the solution to your problem on your own. I mean, I, I know if you're like me, you've tried. You've tried and you go, I, I don't see how we're going to get out of this one. Has anybody sang that song? But you need to see it from God's point of view. When God opens your eyes, you see the resources that are literally right in front of you. Ones that you didn't see before. Story number two, the second benefit of having eyes spiritually opened is I see the barriers to my progress. Has anybody ever faced barriers as you're trying to make progress? I not only see the solution to my problem, but I see the barriers to my progress. Some of us in this room watching online, you, you've, you've, you, know, you have some things that you've been wanting to do in your life. You've been wanting to start a business. You want, you've been wanting to start a family. You've been wanting to get out of debt. Or you, you, you have some goal or dream that you want to accomplish. You've been trying to make progress on, on that. But you just, you just keep hitting a dead end. And you're going, I don't get it. I'm trying the best I can. I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing the best I can. And I'm not making any progress. I'm here to tell you, you need to have your eyes open. You need to have your eyes illuminated. The story that gives an example of this is in Numbers chapter 22. It's a story of a guy named Balaam. And Balaam was a prophet of God, and he was a man of God. But Balaam decided and agreed to help the bad guys. And this kind of upset God. He goes, wait a minute, Balaam. You're supposed to be my representative, and you're, and you're going to go and help the bad guys? So as Balaam starts on his journey to go and help the bad guys, God puts an angel in his pathway and blocks his progress. Only Balaam can't see the angel. So he doesn't know what's going on. But his barrier to his progress, you know, it was invisible, and Balaam couldn't see it. So he's heading off on this journey to help go help the bad guys, and we pick up the story in verse 22 of Numbers 22. It says, but God was furious that Balaam was going. So he sent an angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. And Balaam's donkey suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey could see him, but Balaam couldn't. And the donkey bolted off uh, the road into a field because the donkey was afraid. But Balaam beat the donkey 
and turned it back uh, on the road. Now, this is a funny story because Balaam can't see what's going on, but the donkey can. There's an angel on the road with a big sword, and he goes, uh, listen, you're not going here. And the donkey here is pretty smart. He goes off into the ditch. And Balaam gets angry, and he beats the donkey. It's not the donkey's fault. Don- the donkey clearly saw the barrier. Balaam did not. So the second time it says, then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrows. This is the second time between two vineyard walls. It's, a very, it's very narrow and the angel of the Lord stood right in the middle. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing there, it tried to squeeze by the angel and in turn, it crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. Side note, we always get hurt when we try to do something that God doesn't want us to do. We always get our foot crushed. Balaam doesn't see what's going on. He looks at the donkey. What's up with that? What are you doing? Why did you run, you know, run against the wall and break my leg? So what did Balaam do? He beat the donkey again because Balaam's angry. Third time. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place so narrow that the donkey couldn't get by at all. And this time when the donkey saw the angel, it just flat out gave up. It laid down under Balaam. That's a smart donkey. Listen, dude, I give up. I'm out. Done. He just collapses and gives up. And it says, in a fit of rage, Balaam beat it again with his staff. And we pick up the story in verse 31. It says, then the Lord did what to Balaam? Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Again, this is illumination. He opened Balaam's eye. And now Balaam saw what the problem was. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. Saying, hey, listen, you're not going this way. So what does Balaam do now that his eyes are open? He didn't beat the donkey. He bowed low and fell face down. Balaam worshipped God. Strange story, I know. But here's the point. You have plans in your life that aren't working out. Every single one of us do. You try to go this way and you get blocked. You try to go that way and you go get blocked. You try to do this and you get blocked. You try to do that and you get blocked. You try to go here and you get blocked. You, you, you're, you're getting mad at everybody else. You're blaming everybody else. You're mad at your wife. You're mad at your husband. You're mad at your kids. You're mad at your boss. You're mad at your coworkers. You're mad at your teacher. You're mad at that person who cuts you off on the freeway. What you're doing is you're taking it out on others. You're, you're talking about your boss behind his back and you're mad at everybody because you can't see what the real problem is. You can't see that God is blocking that issue. He's trying to keep you from making a serious mistake. God's saying, I'm not going to let you go down that road. No matter how much you beat your head against the wall, I'm not going to let you go down that road because I love you too much. 
and you're going to be stopped. And what happens? When our progress is blocked, we've got one of two choices. We can beat the donkey. We can blame everybody else, get mad at everybody else. Or we can let God open our eyes. You can get mad at everyone, uh, everyone around you and spirit, spiritually vomit all over them. You could take it out on your kids, your husband, your wife, and everybody else. I mean, we get to this point where we're so sick and tired of not making progress that we just start to blame everybody else and take it out on everybody else. But the real issue is you cannot see the problem. The barrier is that God is not going to let you do that because he loves you too much. When God opens our eyes, we can see solutions to our problems. And we, when God opens our eyes, we can see barriers to the progress. And then, I, then go, oh, that totally makes sense. What is it? Hindsight is what? What if we didn't have to live by hindsight? What if we, what if we were able to live by foresight? Number three, when God opens our eyes, what happens? What's a benefit? The benefit is I see the defense for what's attacking me. I think everybody feels under attack at different points of their life. Some of us may feel under attack right now. Maybe you're under attack by germs. You're getting sick. Maybe you feel like you're under attack by the economy. You've lost, you lost your job and you lost your income and you're, you're not sure you know, about your retirement and your future. Or you feel like you're under attack by former friends. Or you feel like you're under attack by your own family. Or you feel like you're under attack, you know, in your own mind and the fears that are beating you up daily and you feel like you're being beaten down and you're under attack emotionally. Maybe you feel like you're all alone and you don't know what God is doing or going to do in that. Again, there's a great story in 2 Kings. It's the story of Elisha and the Arameans. And the Arameans. In the Old Testament, there was a nation called Aram. And the nation of Aram was always at war with Israel. They were always going to war at Israel. But every time they would attack Israel, God would tell Elisha, who was the, one pro or who was the prophet of God in Israel, what the king of Aram, what he was actually going to do before he did it. He told Elijah the plans in advance. So Elijah would go and tell the king of Israel, and each time the king of Israel would, you know, kick the... <laughs> He'd be victorious. He's winning time after time. Now this gets, as you can imagine, very old to the king of Aram. And he goes, I can't win. No matter what brilliant plan of attack I come up with, somebody is finding out. He, he thinks that there's a traitor in his own camp, in his own military, in his own people who's sharing the secrets. And he goes, we've got to take care of this leak. And we pick up the story in verse 10 of 2 Kings 6. It said, this happened, this leak happened several times, so the king of Aram became very upset over it. He called his officers and he demanded, which one of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? They said, it's not us, my lord, one of the officers replied. It's that Elisha 
Elisha, the prophet of Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your own bedroom. See, he knows the plan. He's saying he knows the plan before you even tell us. The king said, you go find where Elisha is and we're going to send troops to seize him. We're going to send the whole army, the whole army after this one guy, Elisha. And we're going to stop this leak. You go find out where he is. Then the report came back. It says, Elisha's at, uh, Elisha is at Dothan. Dothan was a little town of, uh, you know, in Israel. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city where Elisha was. And now when Elisha, Elisha's servant, a guy named Gehazi, got up early the next day and went outside, he saw the city surrounded by troops and chariots and horses. And what happens? Elijah's servant has a panic attack. He goes, we're gone and we're dead. We're done. You know, it's, it's just two of us against all of these attackers. He runs back in and he tells Elijah, what are we going to do now? Elijah replied, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. See, what's happening is Elisha's servant's looking at it from a human standpoint, with human eyes. He's going, from a human standpoint, dude, that is not accurate. There's like several thousand soldiers out there, and there's really only you and me. Are you picking up what I'm putting down, Elijah? What are you talking about? There's more on our side than theirs. It's, it's just too against this entire army. We pick it back up in verse 17. Elisha prayed and say with me, O Lord, do what? Open his eyes. He's talking about a servant, Gehazi. Open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked out and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. This is an angel army that he did not see from a, a, a human standpoint, a physical standpoint. He's going behind the scenes. I can't see this, but there are evidently some supernatural forces here that are going to protect us that I haven't been able to see before. He sees it now, and now he's not afraid anymore. Here's a side truth if you're taking notes. That, you know, you lose your fear when God is near. The rest of the story says, as the Aramean army advanced towards him, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. Open my servant's eyes, but please blind this army. And the Lord did as Elisha asked. So Elisha went out and told them, listen, hey, I know that you're looking, but you've come the wrong way. Which is hilarious because he's talking to the army that's come to capture him. And they're all blind now. And he says that you've come to the you know, wrong city, the wrong area. This isn't the right city. What he's doing, Elijah's flat out deceiving them. This isn't the right city. Elijah then says, follow me and I'll take you to the man that you're looking for. As he was standing right in front of him. And he led them to Samaria. Now what's in Samaria? The king of Israel and the massive Israeli army is in Samaria. So here's Elijah leading the enemy army that has, you know, that have all been blinded 
one guy leading them right into the hands of the Israeli army. It says, as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. And the Lord did. And they discovered they were in Samaria. When my eyes are open, when I open them up, and all of a sudden I'm not in Dothan, I'm in Samaria. And, I, and not only am I in Samaria, but I'm surrounded by the Israeli army. It's kind of funny. When, Elisha, when Elisha's king, the king of Israel, saw the captive uh, enemy army, he shouted to Elijah, Should we kill them? Elijah says, Of course not. Elisha told him, Do we kill prisoners of war? No. Give them food and drink and send them home again. So the king of Israel made a great feast for the Aramean army, and then he sent them home to their king. And after that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. I guess they would, because that's a weird experience. Again, the easiest way to eliminate an enemy is to make them a friend. So instead of, a, you know, instead of assassinating all these guys, you know, and make enemies for another generation so that the war would continue and retaliation would happen over and over again, be nice to them. Be nice to them. Feed them and send them home. The best way to get rid of an enemy is to turn them into a friend. Here's the point. You've got things that are attacking you and you're going to panic about it. It's going to cause you anxiety. You're going to feel overwhelmed. What, God, what, what needs to happen is God needs to open your eyes and you need to see all the resources on your side that He's commanded to take care of you. There are angels around you, all around you, all of the time. You cannot see them, but they are around you all the time. God's forces are there to protect you. God says, when I see... From a, his viewpoint, I can see the defense and all of a sudden my fear goes down dramatically. The fourth story. The fourth benefit of being able to see with spiritual eyes, to have our minds illuminated, is I see how God is walking with me. When God opens, his, opens my eyes, I, see, I can see how God is walking with me every step of the way. He's been with me all along. I just didn't see it. I don't know what you're going through right now. You may have felt like or feel like you're alone, that you're out there by yourself. You're fighting this battle on your own. You don't think God is with you, and you feel like God is a million miles away. And I'm here to tell you you're dead wrong. He's been with you all along. You just can't see it until your mind has been illuminated. The story I want to share with you is Luke 24. And this is a story that happened on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's Easter Sunday. It's the very first Easter Sunday. And what, what happened took place over 72 hours of a 72-hour period. And a lot took place. Jesus Christ had been arrested. He had been whipped and beaten and tortured. He had been crucified on the cross and he died. And they buried him in a tomb. And all of the disciples, uh, they were crushed. You know why? Because their dream is finished when Jesus died. We thought this guy was God. Now he's dead and he's laying in a tomb. We thought he was the Messiah. 
now that they've killed him, they're probably going to come after us and try to kill us as well. And what did, what did they do? They start fleeing for their lives. They're running away. They're confused. They're in grief. Sorrow is overwhelming them. They're sobbing. And they're fearful because they think they killed Jesus or, you know, those people killed Jesus. They're going to come and kill us as well. Then on Easter morning, some women go down to the tomb and they find the tomb has been broken open and the body of Jesus is gone. And there's angels there that say, hey, listen, he's not here. He is risen. Now for them, this is too much to believe. I just can't believe it. So what do they do? They, go, they run back and they tell the other disciples. And the disciples come out and they go, yeah, it's true. The body is actually gone. But they had a hard time believing it. This rumor starts spreading all over town and that Jesus is risen. But nobody has actually seen him yet. And over the next 40 days, Jesus appears to multiple people, multiple times, walking around in Jerusalem, and at one time uh, talked to a crowd of 500 people. Now that would have been weird. If I was one of the, the, the persecutors of Jesus, and all of a sudden he's walking around town talking to people in the streets two weeks later, and he's back, that... That would be weird. This is why within a few years, there were over 100,000 Christians in the church of Jerusalem. Why? Because there were so many, and we talked about this in week one, eyewitnesses. So many eyewitnesses who had seen Jesus. But this is later that day, and a couple of Jesus' disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus. They were leaving Jerusalem in fear for their life, but uh, they were also grieving. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene and appears to them and starts walking with them. But because they were in so much grief, they didn't even recognize him. Their eyes are closed. They can't see it. They don't even notice who's with them. We pick up the story in verse 15 of Luke 24. It says, Suddenly Jesus himself came along and joined them, these two disciples, and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. Jesus said, You seem to be in deep discussion about something. What are you so concerned about? Because we're talking about the crucifixion and all that's going on and all the chaos in Jerusalem. They stopped short, sadness written all over their faces. Then Cleopas said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened in the last few de- uh, days. And Jesus says, what things? It's funny, he's playing dumb. Obviously he knows what's going on. Jesus was a center of attention. And he goes, what things? And the disciples said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, He was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and all people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. And we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was, you know, this guy was God, but he's dead now. We thought he was the one that was coming back to save us all, who had come back to rescue Israel. And that all happened three days ago, they continued. Then some women... Her women were at his tomb early this morning, 
and came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen the angel who told them Jesus is alive. And some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, just as the women had said. So here they are. They're all confused. They just, they, they haven't seen Jesus. He's walking right there with them. And they don't see him yet. And they don't know what to believe. Then Jesus said, you are such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scripture Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And all of the prophets, that's the Old Testament, explaining what all the scriptures said about him. Remember when I said in week one that some people believe the Old Testament is all about Israel and the New Testament is all about Jesus? It's wrong. It's all about Jesus from cover to cover. This is a a Jesus book. The first part of the book tells you He's coming and you see Jesus in allusions and analogies and metaphors and prophecies and in statements and in predictions. He's all through every chapter of the Bible. Then we find in the Gospels where you hear the story of Jesus. Then we have the book of Acts, which is what happened after Jesus goes back to heaven and we see the church grow. Then all of the letters, which is how we're supposed to live since that moment. But it's all about Jesus. Going on, it says, by this time, They, the two disciples of Jesus, were nearing Emmaus in the end of their journey. And Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay the night with them since since it was getting late. So he, Jesus, went home with them. And they still didn't recognize who he was. And as they sat down to eat, Jesus took a small loaf of bread. Does this sound familiar? Like he did at the Last Supper. And asked God's blessing on it. Just Just like in communion. He broke it, and then he gave it to them. And in verse 31, it says, Then their eyes were what? Their eyes eyes were open, and they recognized him. Wait, what? It's Jesus? This whole time it was Jesus. We've been walking with him all day long. We've been telling him what we saw, and he's explaining to us the meaning of it. Now he's sitting there eating dinner with us. Their eyes were open. Then their eyes were open, and he recognized him. And then he disappears from their sight. That that would blow my mind. The guy you think is God is crucified and died. Well, I guess we missed that one. Then we hear he's been resurrected, but we really don't believe it? Then a stranger walks along with us, and then he breaks bread, and all of a sudden we realize it's him. It's him. It's Jesus. And as soon as we recognize him, bam, he's gone. That was illumination. That was having the eyes of their heart open. In their grief, they could not see that Jesus was with them all along. They had this enormous loss and they couldn't see it. They just couldn't see it. They needed illumination. Again, I don't know what you've lost this past year. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you're losing your health. 
Maybe you, you know, you've lost an important relationship or a big deal in business and you're grieving. You're overwhelmed with sorrow and anxiety and grief has taken over. And you cannot see that every step of the way, Jesus has been walking with you. You've never been alone. You've, you've never been by yourself. That God is with you, walking, but your eyes are blinded. You can't see it. Now do you realize how important illumination is? Yes? Do you realize how important illumination is? Batteries included. Without illumination, you just look at this book, you look at the Bible, and a lot of it doesn't make sense. It's just words on a page. Maybe for some, it's like a great story. But when God opens your eyes, bam! You start to see things. You start to see solutions to your problem. You start to see barriers to your, or you start to see the barriers to your progress, and you and you know what decision to make. You see, you see the protection that God has from you know all the things that are attacking me. And listen, you 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 see that He's with you every step of the way. Illumination is important. Illumination. It it, it brings this book. Not to life, but it brings this book into my life. God's Word. How do I get this kind of illumination? You must do five things that I want to quickly go over. You must do five things to get your eyes open to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so He can illuminate, so He can enlighten your mind. The first thing is, and this is an obvious, you know, obviously a basic one. I must begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. If you don't have this one, you are spiritually blind and you don't have any hope of seeing anything out of God's Word. You don't have any hope of seeing anything from God's point of view. You can't just know about Jesus. You've got to know Him. Have a relationship. You have to be born again. You must accept the salvation that He brings. Until you begin that relationship, you are blind. Sorry, not sorry. You're blind. You're only going to be able to see it from a human point of view. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the man without the Spirit, that means the one who... Is, is not born again, the one who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. It says, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This, why, this is why I think it's utterly ridiculous to expect unbelievers to act like believers until they are. You can make all the laws in the world to make people act and do the right thing, but they're not going to do it because it doesn't make sense. My eyes are blinded until I have a connection with God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 also says, The devil who rules this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They cannot see the light of the good news. They just can't see it. I didn't see it. You didn't see it. 
None of us saw it until we stepped across the line. Until we entered into a relationship. Then all of a sudden, boom, the blinders, they fall off. That's why Jesus says in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. You can't see what God's doing until he is born again. So if you haven't had that yet, we're going to settle that one at the end of this service today. So hang on for just a moment. The second thing is I must ask God in faith to open my eyes. This was our memory verse from last week. For those of us who are in 40 days in the word. If I say Psalm 119, 18, who, who knows it with me? Probably a little more caffeine on that one. <laughs> Psalm 119, 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your laws. That's this week's or last week's memory verse. Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. Why memorize that first? Because I want you, as I do, to pray that when you open your Bible. Pray it. The first thing you should do is pray. Before you even read the Bible, Father, you need to to illuminate my mind. Lord, before I even read this, open my eyes so I may see the wonderful things in your law, in your word. Here's the point. There are wonderful things in this book, but when you don't see them, it's not the Bible's fault. It's because you're blind. You can't see the wonderful things until your eyes are open. So if your eyes are not open, you can read the Bible, but you don't get it. It just seems dull. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't understand it because you're not seeing. It takes more than revelation. It takes illumination. Illumination. And I know you can do this. Listen, memorizing that verse, praying that verse. Let me see the wonder uh, in your word. Listen. It's not like I'm asking you to memorize the Declaration of Independence. It's one sentence. And by the way, you memorize with your ears, not your eyes. If you just read a verse over and over and over and over again, you're never going to memorize it. You have to say it out loud. It's by saying that out loud over and over again while you're in the car driving, while you're shaving, uh, doing whatever you do, memorize. Saying it over and over again. You memorize through your ear. When God, when you ask God in faith, open my eyes that I may see your wonderful things in, or the see wonderful things in your law, you have to ask in faith. And James, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you say, Lord, I need wisdom. I need wisdom on this business deal. I need wisdom in this relationship. I need wisdom with my kids. Am I preaching just to myself today? I need wisdom on my health. I need wisdom whether to say yes or whether to say no. I need wisdom to whether, you know, whether or not to hold on or to let go. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be, it's a promise, it will be given to him. But when he asks... He must do it in faith. He must believe and not doubt. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, and knock. First letter, ask. You just need to ask. And what is God's promise? Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you. 
When you ask, seek, and knock, he says, it would be given to, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I'll show you which way to go. I will counsel you and I will watch over you. But listen, we have to ask in faith. God, open my eyes. Third, come into this with a humble spirit. If I come into the word of God and go, you know what? I've got this on lock. I got it all figured out. I don't need help. I really don't need God's help in this marriage. I don't really need God's help in my finances. I don't, you know, then you're not going to get anything. Your eyes are going to remain closed. But when you come with a humble attitude, it says in Psalm 25, 9, what does he do? He guides the humble. And that's what you need. You need guidance this week. And he guides the humble. If you're humble, God will guide you in what is right and teaches them his way. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, trust in the Lord. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You know, it's not, it's saying, it's not saying, here's what I think you should do. Here's what I think I should do. Here's what I want to have happen. It says, in all your ways, acknowledging him. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him in your relational ways. Acknowledge him in your financial ways. Acknowledge him in your career ways. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. Not just some, in all of your ways. And he will make your path straight. He'll point you in the right path to success. And I ask God to open my eyes in faith. And I also come with a humble attitude. The fourth thing is I cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. I cannot get my eyes open if my body and mind is full of junk. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You can't see it unless your heart is pure. Now listen, that doesn't mean perfect because none of us are perfect. Pure doesn't mean perfect. Pure means I'm caught up today on my confessions. There's nothing between me and God. saying, yeah, God, I agree, you're right. I'm wrong, you're right. I just confess. I don't allow the garbage to pile up in my life. Blessed are the pure at heart, they will see God. If I'm over here watching and looking uh, uh, at a bunch of pornography, and then I come to God and say, hey, God, I need some instruction about what to do with my job, guess what? It's not going to happen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If I'm out here filling my mind with trash, whether it's magazines, you know, uh, raunchy music, movies and TV shows, and just I'm filling my mind with junk and trash, if I'm filling my mind with bitterness and lust and resentment and guilt and anger and jealousy and envy, and all of that stuff in my mind, you know, is, is piling up, guess what? I'm not going to see what God wants me to see. I must have a clear conscience. I must cleanse my heart of sin and not just sin, but conflict. There's so much more I want to say, but I'm going to give you the fifth one. Ask God to open my eyes, come with a humble attitude, cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. The fifth is commit in advance to do what God says. This is unqualified, unconditional obedience. I say, God, I'm getting ready to sit down here. I need you to teach me what I need to do this week with my kids. Teach me what I need to do with my wife, my family, my business. 
I need you to teach me. I'm telling you in advance that I'm going to do what you want me to do even when it doesn't make sense, even when I don't understand it, and even when it's difficult, even when I don't agree, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Even when it's not popular, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm saying yes, even before you tell me what to do. Psalm 119, 33, 34 says, Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, and I will keep them. You see the promise? You see the commitment? I will keep them. You teach me, and I'll do it. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law, and I'll, I'll obey it with all my heart. Whatever you show me, I'm going to act on it. Why? Because acting on, uh, acting on it, applying it, doing it is the bottom line. And God's not going to give you step two until you actually take step one. And I know in our culture today, we want the most return for the least investment in everything that we do. We want that A, young people, but we don't want to put time into homework and studying. And then when we don't get that A, we blame the teacher. A lot of us in this room, I want a healthy, thriving, fulfilling, blessed relationship with Christ. But how much time are we putting in to that relationship? So James 1.22 is today's, this week's memory verse. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. It says this, James 1.22. Read it with me. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, do what it says. James 1.22. Remember, you memorize, this, you memorize verses by saying it out loud. And like we talked about in week one, you say the reference at the beginning and at the end. James 1.22, say it with me. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Can I have Jacob join me up on the stage? Jacob and Kristen, please. By the way, what is James 1.22? Do what it says. I said on Wednesday, I said, I don't think many of us have a hearing problem. There might be, I think we have a doing deficit. I don't think any of us have any problems hearing things. I think a lot of us make a lot of excuses of why not to do something. And in some cases, that's good. In other cases, Maybe it's, it's a barrier to some progress. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And would you pray this prayer with me in your mind? If you never invited Christ into your life, say, Jesus Christ, I open my life to you. I need, I need to be born again. I need to be spiritually renewed. I need to be saved. I've known about you, but I've never, ever put my trust in you in a real way. I've never asked you into my life, Father but I'm doing it right now. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me, for forgiving all the wrong things that I've ever done. I want to learn to love you, and I ask you to open my eyes, God, to see the solutions to the problems that are right in front of me. Open my eyes to see the barriers that are holding back the progress, even if it's me. Open my eyes, Lord, to see the people that are attacking me, that really you've got it taken care of. I don't have to defend myself, Father, because I know that you'll defend me. 
I can trust you, Father. Lord, in all of my loss and my grief and my confusion, open my eyes to see that there has never been a second where you weren't walking with me. You've been right there with me all along, even when I couldn't see it. And in faith, Father, I ask that you open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law and in your word. I want to come to you every day with a humble attitude. And I don't want to trust in my own way or my own understanding, but I want to acknowledge you in every area of my life. I ask you to clean out my heart, Father. Clean out my heart of all of the junk and garbage and sin, bad attitudes, and help me make reconciliation in the conflicts in my life. Father, I don't want to be walking around in the dark anymore. I don't want to be, I don't want to be not knowing where I'm going. So I'm telling you right now in advance that I want to do whatever you tell me to do, whether I understand it or not, because you are God and I am not. I don't want to merely listen to the word and be deceived. I want to do what it says. And it's in your name, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.